you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast is waiting for an old friend. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined in a conference room filled with a hero. <laughs> to my left. man beat cancer and he had the love of the Bengals beat out of him Chris Wessling what's up boy hey dude boy boy <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple things that are unique we've done so many episodes now and yet here we are doing something Wes that we've never done before there's never been a Hansis Wessling maybe a Thursday night recap or something I don't count that okay I mean a straight pod where it was just us two I've definitely done tandem shows or two-handers, to use Ricky some industry parlance. Yeah. A lot of people wondering about the two-hander. A lot of people. Uh, with Greg and with Mark. And I've done all sorts of other combinations with more than two people, but never before just Wes and I. And this is exciting. That surprises me. I haven't been tracking, but I know I've done with just Greg and just Mark. Right. Full As shows? a threesome. Yeah. No, wow. with just the two of us. Like, just in previous, you know... 2014, the dark days before anybody was listening to us, and you get away with just doing like a half an hour mm-hmm. and two people. You call them the dark days. <laughs> that sounds joyful. <laughs> well, yeah. I meant before electricity. The other um, exciting slash unique thing is we've been c- kicked out of the podcast studio uh, due to some construction upstairs. So we're doing this from a conference room on a level one right near Ricky Hollywood's desk. In fact, the conference room that is called Beast Quake with a large image of Marshawn Lynch's famous run in the 2013 playoffs? No, 12, 11? It was the beginning of that Seattle run. I want to say... Maybe 10, actually. It was, yes, this, the Saints were the defending Super Bowl champions in the 20... They had won in the 2009 season. They were defending their title and got knocked off in January 11 with Beast Quake. Ricky, got to be uh, a goosebumps moment for you to be sitting in this conference room so close where you do all your work every day. Yeah. You know, I was really, really excited um, yesterday when I set this up um, when there was a miscommunication. <laughs> so sort of the, the first day jitters are out. Because, what was the miscommunication? Yeah. Well, I was texting you and you were on a flight and I was like, hey, like one o'clock, you're not going to make it if you're just taking off. Like, how about I push it to three? You're like, yeah, that would give me a lot more time to get my life together. And I was like, OK, oh, wait, great. I was already late for the show when you were texting me. That? Yeah, well, I was like, I'll push. I was in a different show. time zone. It was a whole thing going on. I know. And then even you, Wes, in the text, the three of us, you were like, oh, just the two of us today. And I'm like, haha, yeah, like whatever. And then I get to the room, you know, get my first day jitters out, set up all this equipment. Oh, no. And uh, oh, no, it's OK. It's OK. That, that now I feel terribly, but I didn't know you had actually done work in. Yeah, no, I, I, the had, I do put some work into this <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> well, my apologies. Um, I owe you a beer for that. Yes, you right. do. So, three of us here in a conference room. Are we sure this conference room has not been booked by any shadowy league figures who might mosey on here, on in here, and you know, 
waste everybody's time with a meeting about nothing at some point in the next hour? Very well could happen. Okay. Well, if the podcast ends abruptly, you'll know. I think the third floor is empty. Uh, coming up on today's show, mailbag. It's a mailbag show because it's just Wes and I and Ricky's here, of course, as well. No glass. You're not behind the glass. So it's like you're part of the show as well. How fun is that? It's super cool. Um, uh, we'll just hit the mailbag and connect with the listeners. Um, I just got back from, yes, the Jersey Shore. A week with the family. Full-time grind for the old Zeuser. Uh, you know, every day at the beach, Wes. And when you're a young dad, every day at the beach is like, one of those tough mutter endurance races. <laughs> it's like go in the water with me for an hour and a half. Now run around in the sand for twenty minutes. Now dig like a seven foot hole uh, that I'll you know the kid loses interest in almost immediately after you've dug the entire hole out. It's it's constant work. And then it was chased yesterday by a flight where Jack and Harrison were just losing their crap the entire time uh, during the flight. We were hated on the flight. I missed the part where you read a book peacefully and drank a... Did not happen. And so I just want to let you know, Wes, and you're, you, of course, are in, in the middle of your four Mays in a funeral stretch here where you're going to get <laughs> engaged one May, married the next, kid one the, the May after that, and then kid two the May after that. Let's keep the funeral part and out. And you're in a coffin a few decades <laughs> yeah, later. Um, hopefully several decades later. Uh, I just want to say, remember in um, Billy Madison... When uh, the little chubby kid says to Adam Sandler's character, he can't wait to go to high school, and you gotta cherish it. <laughs> Stay here as long as you can. Yes, I do Just, remember that. Well, I'm sure what you did. What, what did you do while while I was in the throes of grind work? Lakeisha and I went up to Napa and hung out with MJ Acosta and her boyfriend, and then we oh come to- on, well, that sounds like the greatest trip ever. We went to Oracle Park, the most beautiful baseball park in the country. Oh. And- Caught a Cardinals Giants game. It was it was a nice you. little weekend. I resent you. Cherish it, Wes. I feel like I've been cherishing it for twenty five years. <laughs> living to the <laughs> living to the hilt. What'd you do, Ricky? I haven't checked your Instagram. So you I haven't? Know. It no. was it was no, I actually was just chatting with Wes. It was really, really nice. I was back in New Hampshire, lake life, up at my mm. parents' lake house. You know, palatial hung, estate. Yeah, hung Temposi out. Manor. Yeah, hung out with some some friends, but mostly just, you know, relaxed on the boat. I've missed that. Being from the Midwest, like your summers mean something. In California, like the whole year is your summer. Oh, that's interesting. Meet anybody, Ricky? No. Fall in love? No. Getting any fights with family members? No, it was really oh, uneventful. Good. Got into a couple I got of sprayed stops. by a skunk. You did? Yeah. How, what did you do? Legitimately. My flight was at six in the morning, Friday <laughs> night. That night we went out with friends in Boston, and I was just going to go to the airport when we were done drinking at four in the morning. Sure. And, As one does. Right. And I had my, my, you know, my beautiful, beautiful puppy, Thor, with me. Mm. So he was at my friend's apartment. So around 2.30, my flight's in a couple hours, go home to let Thor out. And I think I thought it was a cat because my reaction was very, very <laughs> slow. And I, like, let Thor sort of, like, run on the leash, like, after this skunk. But I was like, oh. it took me really, a really long time. Um, and then my friends had to give me and Thor like a hydrogen peroxide baking soda, whatever bath at like three thirty in the morning in Boston. Oh my god! Yeah. Wait, so you'd been drinking all night, and then you get sprayed by a skunk. Yeah. And you wa- you kind of get try to get washed out, but I'm sure the person sitting next to you on the plane 
is probably smelling some combination of Something. booze, yeah, skunk. I mean, I was I was legitimately fluid. drunk trying to like check in at the at the flight too. It was it was a really bad sight. <laughs> what a debacle! Yeah, terrible. <laughs> a total catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you're here with us. You, I don't smell anything now, I so it seems great. like everything is under control. Um, let's get to it. Starting with the news. Ah, yes. Team USA. Oh, yeah. Back to back. I did watch that. I watched it. Watch it with Keith Hansis, my dad, who, you know, I would estimate has watched maybe four <laughs> soccer matches his entire life. Uh, did he enjoy it? He was way plugged in. He's a patriotic man, so he was yeah. pumped up. Um, I only know slightly more than my dad about soccer, so I imagine. Hold the, on, time out. Didn't yeah. you tell me once you were a goalkeeper? I was. I was quite good, actually. Um, in my younger years, uh, but I don't. I never really learned the. the I never fell in love with the sport. Gotcha. Um, so it was kind of fun watching with my dad. But that that was nice. Back to back. Back it's to great. back. It's great. You know the dominance on the on the uh, world stage. And you said, Wes, you made the point. We were talking about we were talking about the women's soccer and how it's a fairly new sport. The first uh, World Cup was in 1991. So maybe eventually other countries will catch up to the U.S. So we're just going to savor this as long as we can. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it kind of like the dream team, like in 1992, we were ahead of everyone. I don't know that women's soccer players were naturally ahead of everyone, but they've dominated. You expect as the sport evolves, it'll be more egalitarian. Who's your favorite, Ricky? I like Kelly O'Hara. Alex Morgan's a little overrated. Rose um, LaBelle. Yeah. She's LaBelle's from great. Cincinnati. Rapino is, you know, making some waves. Yeah, she's like the biggest star in sports right now. Yeah. Nice job by her. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. By the way, Greg is in Japan. Colleen, checked in with Colleen. She's in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Does anybody know where Mark is? He's um, taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he out before the, before the July 4th week? Well, that was a family vacation. I think this is like a personal retreat for him. Is he here this week? Last week, I mean? I don't think he was here, but I don't, I can't verify that. I think he, he, you know, he said he has told us on numerous occasions when he leaves any job, when it's time to leave, that's why he keeps his his desk so sparse. He can be out within seconds and no one will know he's gone. It's possible that has happened here. It is. He made it seem like this is like his personal retreat. So he'll be ready to face the next eight month gauntlet of the season. All right, good for him. I, I just hope he comes back. Come back, Mark. He's not listening. Let's get to the news. Ezekiel Elliott will not face a suspension uh, for his most recent off-field incident. Mike Garofolo reported uh, Elliott met last week with Commissioner Goodell uh, regarding an incident in Las Vegas in which the running back nudged a security officer. After the meeting, Elliott issued an apology for his actions, promising to make better decisions in the future. Um, I just think, uh, you know, we don't need to dwell on this. We're kind of catching up because we were out last week, except for the, of course, Wheel of Destiny episode, which people really seem to enjoy. Yes, they did. People like fun. the Wheel of Destiny. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just curious. I feel like if you remember, if you're a student of recent Cowboys history, uh, last time they had a, a true star running back in their midst, uh, DeMarco Murray, they, they maxed out um, what they could do in terms of team control. Uh, used him at a, an outrageous uh, workload 
uh, level of workload and then said goodbye. Due to the structure of the way the um, the CBA is, I wonder if the Cowboys, how crazy they are really about extending uh, a player, in Elliot, who is undeniably talented but continues to have these little issues off the field as a running back and knowing how the, how that position gets paid or not paid. Would you be surprised if the Cowboys did not uh, extend Elliott long-term? I would be shocked because their whole team is built around him. Not just the offense, but the way they play and the way the defense uh, works with the offense, hand and glove, it's all built on Ezekiel Elliott being the best all-around running back in the game and the best offensive weapon on their roster. All right, let's move on. The Dolphins um, have a defensive tackle, Kendrick Norton, who suffered just a horrendous um, fate uh, last week. He suffered a, He was in a car accident uh, that led to the amputation of his left arm. Uh, this occurred in Friday on Friday um, last week um, in Florida. He's 22 years old. Um, he his car it was a Ford F250 crashed into a concrete barrier. Uh, he lost the arm, and the NFL stepped in uh, with some help Tuesday morning, uh, informing Norton that all of his medical bills will be covered under the league's. Uh, and the Miami Dolphins insurance policy uh, that came from uh, the player's agent. Um, Also, Norton posted an Instagram message um, on Monday with a thumbs up. Uh, He is in stable condition. His NFL career, obviously, over. Now it's about getting well uh, and moving on to the next phase of his life. Obviously, stunning um, and very sad, but thank God he's alive. Sad story for a guy who was a late-round pick last year, was on the practice squad, and with a team as sparse as the Dolphins, would have had a chance to make the roster. So you feel bad, feel bad about a loss of his career and obviously, you know, his health issues going forward. And, I, th- you know, talking to MJ Acosta and her boyfriend about this, they spent a lot of time in Miami. She spent most of her life there. She's, she was not surprised about where the accident happened. She said it's got to be one of the most dangerous areas in the country. Really? It happened very early in the morning. Um, again, Norton stable. There's a hope that eventually he'll be able to um, get a prosthetic arm, uh, but that's where Norton's at right now. Uh, in other uh, health news, and not you know great news, uh, former Patriots linebacker Teddy uh, Bruski. 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 Teddy Bruski posted an Instagram on Monday. He's doing quote much better after suffering a stroke last week. Um, Bruski. Uh, suffered a stroke on July 4th, uh, felt several you know symptoms of a stroke, which is the use of his left arm. He couldn't use it. He, re- he realized he was slurring his speech. Um, his wife also noticed that the left side of his face was drooping when he turned her. They called 911, got immediate assistance, and uh, Bruski, 46 years old, uh, seems to be doing much better now. Of course, Bruski suffered a stroke in 2005 as well when he was a member of the Patriots. He missed the first six weeks of that season, then returned to play eight months later. So this is obviously something, an existing medical condition that Bruce is going to have to watch for the rest of his life. Scary stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it had been over a decade since his initial stroke. And I remember at the time everybody being very concerned. I, you know, I think it bodes well that he's been able to recover so well from the first one. So let's hope he does the same after this one. Ricky, you listen, I should know that. He had a great career. Huge. Bruski. Huge. I got hung up on it because I don't watch a lot of the ESPN NFL shows. I only he's an analyst there now. Mm. I only watch NFL Network. 
because that's the only place to come for NFL news. And his name, B-R-U-S-C-H-I, I tripped on it. Yeah, I don't... I don't so maybe, like, cut th- me some slack, That's bro. sort of, like, my first real football memory. Was Teddy, Teddy Bruschi's was stroke? Was stroke. Oh, yeah. really? Whoa. How old were you in 2005? I probably was... 14, 13. Well, oh, wow. yeah. Is this just one of those stories you tell to remind us how much younger you are than us? <laughs> yes. No, I, I remember I remember being like he missed the first part of the season. I remember Patriots fans, my friends in classes and stuff being really upset about it. And then I remember being really upset that he was like coming back. Like I was really worried hmm. because I wasn't really sure. I didn't know who he was, but all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden he was back. And I was like, that's way too soon. And I remember sort of the pressure of watching his first game back. And that was in 2005. Because in the millennium, 2000, I was in second grade. Who could forget the millennium? What will happen with those stoplights? They'll shut off. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. More Patriots news. Rob Gronkowski, he was on the Rich Eisen show last week. Said he's going to be times when he misses playing. Uh, but guess what? He's also happy right now. He's also down 18 pounds from 268 to 250. But that didn't stop him from getting in a little workout with an old friend named Tom Brady. Gronk caught passes from Brady during a private workout um, Monday at UCLA. My, both my sons were born at UCLA Medical Center. How about that? Pretty cool. Patriots a little bit more likable now. Maybe maybe Jack and Harrison are Pats fans. You shut your mouth, Scorpion <laughs> woman. Uh, anyway, the tight end, he just happened to be in L.A. He had a charity basketball game, the ESPYs this week. Wes, I know you'll be DVRing the ESPYs and watching it repeatedly. <laughs> um, uh, so he got the workout in. And I just got to be honest with you, um, this, this just feeds right into the obvious takeaway that there's no way in hell this guy is not playing for the Patriots in December. I, I, I put a sandwich on it if anybody wants to take me on it. This is happening. Gronk is still having catch with the old quarterback. He's going to get the itch by August. He'll be playing by December. Who doubts it? I'm taking you up on that sandwich. I think Mark it down, Nick Fortier. The weight loss is way more telling to me than oh, catching passes Oh, he could put that on in six weeks. Why would he drop it if he's just going to put it back on? He's just having a good time. I think I saw Joe Thomas do this. Yeah, but Thomas, different situation. Gronk, he's, he's having fun. He's cutting loose. But he's going to start getting worked up. Remember, this guy just 30 years old. He gone. <laughs> Put it on the board. I got a sandwich coming. Uh, you know who's not coming back? Glover Quinn. The former Lions safety is retiring after 10 seasons. 33 years old. He's walking away. Uh, he always set a goal of playing 10 years. He played it, and he's done. Fourth-round pick back in 09 by the Texans, but he really became a standout uh, when he got to Detroit. Um, <clears throat> he was a top free agent signing in 2013, became a stalwart in that secondary um, Pro Bowl bid, second team All-Pro in 2014, led the NFL in interceptions. Uh, an underrated player, Kevin Patra, long t- a long-suffering Lions fan who does obviously great work writing up the news for NFL.com, uh, wrote, frankly, he was one of the most underrated players during his six years in Detroit and should have garnered more accolades including 2017 All-Pro and Pro Bowl snubs after what was arguably his best season. Wes, shaking his head, no, nodding his head, preach, Kevin Patra. Absolutely. He made my 2017 All-Pro team, um, and then the wheels kind of fell off last year. He lost, his, he lost his speed. But this guy is the NFC's version of Devin McCourty, a cornerback 
who came in and converted to safety and then play, played at a Pro Bowl level for the bulk of his Lions career. And if he played in New England, he would have made more Pro Bowls. Uh, trope alert. Got a trope alert. Trope alert. Trope alert. Trope alert. Trope alert. Patrick Mahomes is coming trope off alert. a record-setting MVP season, but guess what? He a fatty. <laughs> that according to Patrick Mahomes, who said this offseason is all about shedding that, quote, baby fat. Uh, last year, after training camp, he was 12% body fat. His goal is to be in the single digits. Here's what he said. I'm going to try to get as low as I possibly can while still being healthy and still having the body to be able to take a full season. Remember the same Patrick Mahomes. Tossed for 5,097 yards, 50 touchdowns, won the MVP trophy in his first year, first full year as an NFL starter. I, you know, I would say just come back exactly the same. I wouldn't change a thing. Keep, keep scarfing down those cheeseburgers, you corpulent quarterback. Back uh, in the 70s when quarterbacks first started to Corpulent. Get in- I don't get anything more. Corpulent's great. It's awesome. What does that mean? Uh, Ruben-esque. <laughs> Heavy set. Zoftic. <laughs> uh, back in the 70s when John Madden was announcing and quarterbacks first started to get into weightlifting, he thought that the main benefit was in release time, that you were more willing to stand in and take a hit because you were more able to withstand the hit. Right. I don't think Pat Mahomes needed any help on this, standing no. in and taking a hit or release time. Corpulent, adjective, parentheses, of a person, and parentheses, fat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of uh, my favorite Czechisms, Dave Damashek, is saying someone, uh, an overweight person, is of generous carriage. Moves well for a man of his carriage. <laughs> yes, I feel like I've heard that from Sheck toward me before. Uh, moving on. Uh, ooh, it is time uh, to tell you, Wes, about the NFL International Combine in 2019. You know where it's going to be held? Deutsch! Deutschland! <laughs> Deutsch, baby! The Deutschland. It will be held in Germany. The league announced Tuesday it will conduct the NFL International Combine in Germany at a sports training facility outside. Ooh, this one got me. Listen to this song. You love this one. Yeah, you got it off my Spotify. Anyway, uh, where was it? Anyway, it's the workout. It's the same. It mirrors the NFL scouting combine in Indy. Last year it was in Australia. Uh, this year it's in Germany. The international combine will host up to 50 athletes selected to go through drills in front of NFL talent evaluators. This is all part of the uh, um, the international player pathway program, which aims to provide international athletes the opportunity to compete at the NFL level, hone their skills, and hopefully earn a spot on an NFL roster. During the 2019 season, eight teams will carry an additional overseas player on their practice squads as part as the program as, uh, uh, as part of the program. And that reminds me, Ricky, it's time to check back in. And now another edition of Keeping Up with Bowringer. Maurice Bowringer. <laughs> I don't have anything. He. Isn't he currently converted to tight end and trying to catch on with the Bengals? Sure. <laughs> and that was another edition of 
Keeping up with both. This is how I know that Handsome Hank, our friend Henry Hodgson, is doing a great job. Because VP of International here at NFL Media. Did you even know there was an international combine in Australia? Hell no. Well, now this year we've got articles written. We're talking about it on a podcast. We're getting it out there. Henry's getting the news out. Hank, yeah, Hank is one of the more powerful men uh, behind the scenes. He's sneaky powerful, and I've said the only thing that could keep him from one day being a commissioner is that accent. You know, <laughs> I, I think what he needs to do is throw that thing. Um, he every when, Whenever Hank does it, and if you know Handsome Hank, if you listen to the Dave Damaschek football program where he's a regular contributor, uh, if he tries to do an American accent, it always comes out Texan, like a twang. <laughs> yes. I'd say just go to that full time. He'll be have an office at the top of uh, that Park Avenue estate, uh, Park Avenue complex in no time. He could get voice lessons from Istook, our buddy Mark Istook, you know, native Texan, Texan back in Dallas these days. Exactly. Uh, finally in the news. So nasty. A young woman is seen on video licking a container of ice cream and putting it back in the store freezer. Lick it. Oh, you foul. Put it back. Put it back. Put it back. Oh, you foul. Put it back. Put it back. Uh, this is the newest thing. <laughs> it's all over the Internet. Um, people are licking the top of ice cream cartons, putting it back, putting it on the Internet, and a viral challenge. People are getting thrown in jail. Is in the New York Times, actually, an article just today in the Times about a guy that uh, tracked down. They, they tracked down the girl that started it in East Texas. Who had the flu? <clears throat> Did she? Yes. Oh, come on. And then there's this other dude, Lenise Lloyd Martin III, 36-year-old unemployed man. He's been in jail for days because he licked it. Uh, it was caught on camera. He said, I bought the ice cream that I licked. I had the receipt. They said, we don't care. You didn't buy it when you licked it. You're going to the slammer and you're staying there. And you know what, Ricky? I think that's fine. Leave him there. I agree. That's disgusting. Come on. It's stupid, too. Crack a book once in a while, and you won't be going around doing stupid things like this. You know what? Stay out of CVS. Stay out of Rite Aid. uh, Stay out of Stop and Shop and Vons. Stay away from our ice cream library. Crack a book. Also, quit trying to impress other people. Just stop. Be yourself. Yep. Just stop. What what, what would... Uh, Nothing would cause you to do something like that. I knew this would get you mad. Impressing other people is the only reason to do that. No I one's doing it who's just impressed? to lick an ice cream. Who's impressed? If, if Dan came idiots. in and was like, guess what I did over the fourth? I licked some ice cream and put it back. I would be like, I don't want to speak to you ever again. <laughs> Sophomores. Yeah. That's bad who's job. impressed. It's a bad job. Uh, that's what's happening in the news. Uh, quick softball update before we get to the mailbag. Where do we stand? Eight and two. Nice. Wes, we can never tell anyone else on the team, especially some of the less motivated members of our team. <laughs> I won't specify who. Ricky, keep this in this conference room. But after looking at an updated, um, glan- taking an updated glance at the standings, we have clinched a playoff spot. We're oh, in the yeah. top three. We will be playing for a third consecutive title, something that even the U.S. women's national team has never done, win three straight. That is That would be impressive. We, there's still drama left here. We have to make sure that the tournament gets played on the right day so half our roster can show up. Right. There's some Ooh. concerns about – yeah, there's a rain makeup date that if it's not made up, we're going to be down two of our top women. Uh, so we need some things to go our way. Uh, but eight and two, two games to play uh, before the big dance. And Erica, this has been your first season with the Shield softball team. 
Yeah. Uh, any takeaways, surprises, um, things you are happy about, things you're disappointed by? Surprises would probably be how serious you guys take it. I sort of <laughs> thought it was a bit. I thought you guys were like, oh, yeah. It's I mean, like, it's half bit. Yeah, but it's not. You guys are, like, legit serious. Like, I've, I've never seen Dan, like, you've, like, sworn and, like, thrown your bat against the fence. Like, when you, you like, were hit, popped out once. But you hit, like, a slammer, like, way out into the outfield. And someone randomly caught it. Like, it, it's not your fault. Like, that's a re- you're really good. So that was funny to me because I was like, oh, my God. And they're, like, serious. It's called a slammer. <laughs> <laughs> you hit a slammer. An exclamation point? <laughs> yeah, you know. So you th- you're surprised by how serious we take it. Yeah. But we have fun. It's not. Oh, like, it's so know. much fun, but it's also like, ha ha, fun as long as we're like dominating. No, I mean, it's, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's not fun to lose. No, no one likes no one likes to lose. Yeah. Um, another takeaway is someone lit my apartment on fire again last week. <laughs> what? Yeah, again. <laughs> again. <laughs> but I had moved. I moved. Now, initially, you'll say what. Uh, listeners might be like, what does that have to do with the softball team? Uh, we we speculated a few weeks back the first time that Ricky's apartment was set ablaze <laughs> that it was possibly the girl on our team that uh, was told that she was not starting and Erica was instead starting in right center field. Uh, a day later, the, the, the apartment went up. Um, we don't have any evidence corroborating that, and we don't know for sure, but we just thought that. But now that it's happened a second time, yeah, it that's... seems almost certain. Right. It has to be. And and they don't know that I moved apartments because I did move about like two weeks ago. So the joke's on them? So the joke's on whoever's <laughs> moving into my new place, I guess. I hope this person doesn't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, because then they're going to start putting together. They might follow you home. They or... know that I moved. Right. Yeah. Well, let's keep, again, let's keep this investigation open. But there is potentially, Wes, we're always putting out fires, pardon that, um, with certain women on the team. And now we might have a situation where arson is involved between two teammates, what outfielders. If, what if arson and skunks were both involved? <laughs> I don't know. Like, this has been a weird stretch of time for me. There was When I played in Cincinnati, our home ballpark for softball, after the game every Sunday night, the whole family of skunks would come out, like, right where we were sitting and drink beer. Really? And the skunks would, throw would drink them, beer? Like, That'd we be would, awesome. We'd throw them hot dogs and stuff. Really? Yeah. Would they, sp- they wouldn't spray you, No, nah, they never sprayed us. That's was- some hardcore West Side Cincinnati stuff. Oh, yeah. like the skunks come out at night and just chill out at the baseball. And they don't oh, yeah. spray. They sit there and, and needle each other. And dare you. <laughs> just dare you. Um, all right, so, yeah. Ricky, nice. I expect a contribution to, from you um, before the season's out. That. Oh, yeah. I want you to win a game at some point. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna. And I believe in you. Oh, yeah. Let's hit the mailbag. <clears throat> Put it out there this morning. And, of course, you guys stepped up, as you always do, the listeners. So let's dig into it. Uh, we'll start with a nice beefy one that we could sink our teeth into a little bit. Nick Ostick, uh writes, Given how spicy NBA free agency has been, what would you do to improve, parenthetical, if anything, Close parenthetical. Mm-hmm. The heat level of NFL free agency. How would you make NFL free agency more beefy? Oh, <laughs> nice. Well, I think there's there's a couple of things here. First of all, it, it can't be like the NBA because of the scheming that coaches do in the NFL. You need the players to match the scheme. Um, the players are in control. The union is in control in the NBA. It's not in control here. And for that reason, in the NBA, you have super teams, and you usually only have, in the last, I don't know, five years, a couple of teams that are relevant every year. 
And the NFL's great strength, besides the fact that it fits television so well, is the parity, that every team has a chance every year that you don't get an advantage just because you're in a major market or because you're the glamour team. I think that that's – and honestly, look back even three or four years ago, NFL free agency was pretty boring, and it has been way spicier the last couple of years. As Greg has noted with the trade tsunamis, I think it's really been beefed up. Um. Yeah, I think it's been better maybe in recent years, but I totally see where Nick's coming from. July 1st, when NBA free agency opened, it was the center of the sports universe, and it's a lot of fun tracking who's meeting with who, who's recruiting who, what billboard is up, who's flying somewhere and somewhere else. The only time I could really think about that in my time here at NFL Media is when Peyton Manning was a free agent, and he really felt that um, – you felt that energy of where is he going to go? He's meeting here. He might go here. And that was a lot of fun. I don't really – I can't recall any other scenario that came close to matching that. And I think one thing that really – feeling for what would be a change you can make, um, I think the – and it's something that we'll see when the CBA – the new CBA gets rolled out after the 2020 season and hopefully without any work stoppage uh, in between, uh, the franchise tag really does keep – exciting, young, just entering their prime players, tethered to the team they get drafted by, a team they have no they have no choice where to go when they get drafted. So then they get locked into either a four- or five-year contract. Then they get the option to get franchised. That could happen twice. There's a transition tag. It's all this stuff that's designed to keep these guys from maxing out their value on the open market. I think if you somehow were able to negotiate that out, Free agency would be a lot of fun because guys after that four-year period or five-year period could hit the market at 26, and I think that would change a lot of things um, as as things stand now. That's not the way it is. That would be the one change I would make, but I imagine the owners would rather shut down the league for two years than give give up the franchise tag, which is incredibly valuable. Yeah, to me it's take your pick. Do you want the free agency to be fun or do you want the season to be fun? This, and, and I don't, you know, if you if you allow super teams, I don't think the NFL season is going to be as fun. This offseason, though, I think was one for the books with Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, the Odell Beckham trade, I feel like yep. nobody saw coming. So as far as like exciting when you just have those big players. But you that, just mentioned trades. You know what I mean? Those right, are trades. That's not just like getting. That's the offseason. The offseason, that's the trade tsunami that Wes was talking about. I agree with that. Right. So like the offseason has gotten spicier through the trade tsunami. But how do you make free agency? Well, more the NFL, exciting? those are officially, or the NBA, those are officially trades too. Signing trades, or I right. mean, they're they're trades. To me, the, Odell Beckham is basically free agency. That's trading and free agency are almost the same thing in sports now. It is amazing though how much power the players have in the NBA, and yes. when you compare it to what happens in the NFL, which is very much still dominated uh, by the owners uh, and and the teams have have the power. And it does get me nervous, Wes, about that CBA, especially with you know the players and the union seeing what a bonanza and how fun it is and lucrative it is over in the NBA right now for these superstar players. Yeah, new CBA should always get you nervous mm, in any right. sport. Next up, let's go to so many great questions. Justin Sullivan, 84. Marcus Mariota entering his fifth year. Speaking of rookie contracts, and every year the same question remains, is Mariota a franchise QB? If you're John Robinson, uh, the GM, what do you have to see from Mariota this year to re-sign him to a big contract? 
TDs, interceptions, yards, health games played and games won, playoff appearance. What do you need to say? What do you need to see? Wes, you get us going on this one. Well, I'll throw, throw the stats out the window because they lack context, and I don't think you can accurately judge quarterbacks by stats. But I would say what John Robinson has to see is threefold. One, stay off the injury risk while remaining a threat to run in key situations. That's number one. He hasn't been able to do that yet. Number two, make more plays outside the numbers and down the field. This guy is a very good quarterback between the numbers. His accuracy is great. He just doesn't make enough plays outside the numbers and down the field where big plays happen. So that element has been missing. And one thing that really caught my eye last year, if you remember when Tony Romo praised Sam Darnold for having like special innate spatial awareness. Yes. Uh, Mariota was missing that. Like he stepped into pressure instead of away from it. He didn't really sense pressure until it was too late. His internal clock was off and he took way too many sacks. I think that's the one problem like that maybe a lot of people don't know about that has really held him back. Uh, I agree with everything you said, and I agree somewhat on the stats thing. Yes, you can't – don't use stats as a be-all, end-all, but I think if you're an elite quarterback, you're you're a guy that's you're, – you're involved with like 30 touchdowns a year. You, you're passer rating, or I know you guys prefer the uh, – what do you prefer to pass rating list? I guess QBR, but QBR. I mean, none of them are great. But, I, you know, Mariota putting up about 15 touchdowns a year, that's just uh, – to me, that's not a guy. That's not a franchise guy. And the injuries obviously play a big part in that. He's missing parts of seasons every year. But you know what? you got to stay on the field. Huge year for him. And Ryan Tannehill, that that was a very good move, I thought, by them. Because Tannehill is a guy who is waiting in the wings who I think could give that team a spark potentially if yeah, he gets called on. I wouldn't rule it out that he could – if Mariota goes down, Tannehill could take the – the reins and never give them back. Wasn't there just an article saying that, like, you know, Mariota is our quarterback? You don't, I, for me, it's just like, you don't need to put out a statement like that if you're, if you're sure of your franchise quarterback, don't you think? Don't you think if there was a backup quarterback that your, your team wouldn't have to be like, just to let you guys know, they're definitely still our quarterback? Well, I think that, yeah, that's a good point, but I also think it's more about health with him than anything. And you invite that question when you trade or sign Tannehill. You know, you could just go with a regular backup. Uh, Josh Alstrom asks, uh, Dan, if the Knicks trade for Russell Westbrook, would it save this offseason? Well, what a terrible offseason for the Knicks, who seemed locked and loaded uh, uh, to have Kevin Durant and perhaps more. They even seemed like they could get the number one pick. That didn't work out. Um, but the only reason I bring this one up it ties into the NBA we we're just talking about. But also, where the Knicks are now as a franchise is probably, I think, similar to probably how Browns felt, the Browns fans felt before Baker Mayfield showed up, where everything just seems like lipstick on a pig right now. If they got Russell Westbrook, for instance, what would a 30, 31-year-old guard do for that franchise? They need to have somebody that's a game-changing young talent like Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. Maybe it would have been Zion you know, Williamson. That didn't work out. Uh, but uh, that is uh, where I come down on that. Well said. I think it's about three years past the time when you would want Russell Westbrook on a team if you're rebuilding. He was a problem for his team in the playoffs last year. Also one of the most expensive players in the league in terms of what's left on his contract. Steer clear of the Knicks. Meanwhile, they'll probably end up getting him. Uh, Moving on, let's see. Our old friend Jim Lorigan asks, Wes, if you had to cook one meal for Gordon Ramsay, do you respect Ramsay and his game? 
He's a little loud and obnoxious for me. All right, a little mean some, just to be mean. You have someone in this realm that you do respect. Well, Anthony Bourdain would have been my first pick. All right, let's the go. The late Anthony yes, Bourdain. Yes, let's go back in a, a, a better world where Anthony Bourdain was still with us. If you could cook one meal for Bourdain, what would you make? So you've had, Dan, my homemade uh, marinara. Stellar. Ragu. Stellar. Um, so I turn that into a new dish. I make the marinade myself, homemade, and then I turned it, put it on the big green egg, threw in some... Cream cheese, some uh, Eiffel Tower pasta, and smoked it on the big green egg in a cast iron skillet, and it was one of the best things ever made. That's what I would make for him. Mm. Ricky, can you cook? I can cook really well, actually. What would you make for the late Anthony Bourdain? I would probably make him like a really tricky, hard-to-nail risotto. Risotto really? is tough. In risotto, you can really screw up. Mm. So if Wait, I got it right, you know, big re- risk, big reward. You know been our producer for a while now at what point is there you know a text that goes out to me and the other fellas hey i'm cooking dinner yeah <laughs> come on over it's a, bring some wine have a nice night all of us yeah i do i actually did want to have you guys over for my new housewarming little wine night and i'll cook let's do it put it on the books i won a iron chef competition at unh with my buddy i won a Whoa. flat screen tv what did you make for this <laughs> that was like a steak and i did a mushroom Asparagus risotto. Nice. And the the magic ingredient was jicama. Jicama? Yes. I got to look this up. It's I like an apple potato almost. I kind of like a Wes Erica Tamposi. Throwdown? Throwdown no. and or, you know, or just like a another two-hander. Like some type oh, yeah. of reality cooking show. It'd be great. Yeah. All right. That's good. All right. Ooh, what's more likely? Let's do it. Dean Bonner asks. What's the Saints make a third straight NFC championship game or the Browns make the playoffs. Now, I don't believe the Saints made the NFC title game two years ago. Didn't they get knocked out by the Vikings in the divisional playoffs on the Miracle in the Minneapolis? And then the Eagles beat the Vikings? Yes. Well, that's incorrect, Dean. But let's just say, will the Saints return to the NFC title game or the Browns make the playoffs? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think the Browns have a playoff roster, and the top of the NFC is pretty loaded to me. There are a lot of really good playoff Super Bowl contender type of teams. It's a lot harder to make the conference finals than to make the playoffs, so I think it's more likely that the Browns make the playoffs. I I put it probably pretty close, but it is easier to win the nine or ten games to get to the postseason, so I would put the, the Browns as more likely – but um, as we've talked about in this podcast, and I'm on Mark's radar for it, I'm not as um, you know pumped about penciling in the Browns for 12 wins in the AFC title game as a lot of other people seem to be. Um, my eyes are wide open about expectations and how that could crush a team or lead to a slow start that they may or may not recover from. So I'm not as bullish on the Browns, but I think that is a very talented roster. And, yes, more likely than the Saints getting back to that game again. We've got to see if Drew Brees can still sling. We do. And I, I know are, – are the Saints really that much better than, like, the Eagles, Cowboys, Bears, Rams? Mm-hmm. Mark sure. Ingram was an important guy in that locker room and on the field. He's no longer in the picture. Um, all right, let's move on. Dave Evans asks, Greg fails a drug test – that would never happen – and gets suspended for the 2019 season. Which member of the football cognoscenti – 
Do you choose to replace him? All right. This, to me, was it was really – I could go either way on this. Um, Mike Tirico, right there. I feel like Tirico um, would be a great addition, total pros pro, so versatile. But then I thought, hmm, you better host than me. <laughs> Never want that in the studio. So Tirico is out. So I'm, I'm going to go with Lil Debbie. Make wow. her a full-time presence, the Bay Area rap star uh, and friend of the show. Make her a 24-7 full-time member of the crew. It's amazing how much this question has changed in the last five years. That now we've been, we've been told that um, you probably aren't going to go so far with four whites in their middle ages. <laughs> Well, so maybe, I'm, I'm in my 30s, but you guys are definitely in your middle age. You're looking down the barrel of 40. No. Nope. So I think... Yeah, they call me Kid Dynamite. I would look to diversify. And I, the first thing I would do is, you know, obviously check with Connie Fox and try to get her back. You got Steve Weish has been a natural on this show. Patrick Claibon. Um, Lakeisha. You never know. A little nepotism. I like that. Hey, if she's good enough to do it, she's good enough. And to now do you're it. getting me in trouble with Colleen. I'm not counting Colleen. Colleen, of oh, course, she's is already the natural. On the show. Yeah. She would be the natural slide in, but it, she's a very busy woman with her Thursday night football and good morning football duties, rising star while we've kind of hit that ceiling. Yeah, that's you know. that's fair. I mean, you <laughs> almost everyone we would consider, you'd have to say, would you mind stepping back and joining our podcast? <laughs> and Erica, we need you behind the glass. I know you're thinking with natural succession, I slide in through the door. Um, I just think where we are right now, it's better that you are in the producer role at this moment. Okay, thanks. I appreciate the uh, <laughs> honesty. <laughs> Moving on uh, from Frank Signetti, P.I., also known as Frank underscore Murrieta. Um, but you can interview. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Bring a resume. I'll put together a packet. Put on a business suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank says, the value placed on the dual threat quarterback for an NFL offense seems to be climbing and climbing. Are we watching the beginning of the end of the true pocket passer? Ooh, good question, Frank. Wes, what do you think? Well, I think the easy answer is people have been asking this question since Randall Cunningham was, you know, a second-year player with the Eagles in the, in the late 80s. Um, and the, the answer from NFL types has always been, the pocket passer will always have a place because running quarterbacks get injured. And I think it's worth reviewing that at least and saying now when quarterbacks don't get hit as much and it's a big penalty to hit them, um, it's almost flag football to the point where the quarterbacks are treated like punters. Um, Is that still relevant today? I know that a running quarterback is still going to have to get outside the pocket and take hits, but we've seen guys like Russell Wilson who has – immaculate instincts on when to get down, when to avoid hits. Not every quarterback's going to have those instincts. But I think some of that can be taught a little bit. So I, between the rule changes and teaching that, I do think we're going to see way more running quarterbacks. But I don't think the pocket quarterback will be, will be extinct. I mean, look at the best guys in the last, you know, half decade. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Right. If you could sling it and you have that spatial awareness and you could show those leadership skills – there's always going to be a role for those guys. But, uh, yeah, we, what we've seen is if you have that dual ability, you are invaluable. All right, here's the next one coming up. Uh, Daniel Anderson, which team is this year's 2016 Raiders, sem- seemingly from nowhere, pulling a 12-4? and four. So uh, the 2015, just to refresh my memory, 2015 Raiders 
went seven and nine, so maybe they weren't quite as bad as Danny remembers. Uh, but uh, who is the team kind of buried in their division west last year that you'd be least surprised to see uh, make a you know double digit win season type run? Not even ten, like eleven or eleven plus wins. We always have to preface this, I guess, with except the Browns, right? I mean, would you also say except the Packers? Let's keep the Packers out of it as well, yeah. Except the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, injured quarterback. I mean, there's no – to me, those are the three obvious ones, and I don't see a team – I mean, Jets and Bills, I love what they've done this offseason. They still have a lot of question marks to me. Jags? Jags, yeah, because of their defense. But I look at their offense, I'm I'm doing – some some articles on deepest and thinnest position groups and they brag. Well, it was assigned to me by okay. our, our gracious editor Ali Bonparty. <laughs> um, and so you gracious. look at the Jags' offense, and for thinnest position groups is basically their entire offense. What about your boys, the Broncos? Six and ten last year. I I get tired of backing them on the show because you guys Joe always Flacco or Fluco. That's the question. I don't see a twelve and four out of them. I see a ten and six possibly, but I don't see one of those like he's going for the MVP award like Derek Carr was going for the MVP award that year. All right, so you don't you know you don't have the spine to throw one out there. Yeah, I, I threw three out there, but they were all ineligible. Yeah, you know, here's you know here comes uh, the onion hanger. All right, Bruce Arians of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bang. Because he's still got the love of the game, Wes. You think Arians was in the booth and he's out of the game too long and he's no longer a quarterback whisperer and he can't do it and the Bucks will always think, well, guess what? 5-11. and 11. Flip it. 11-5. and five. Let's fly. Based on what, really? Well, I just explained that Bruce Arians <laughs> is one of those coaches, Wes. He is like that, that Parcells. You know, he's a guy with the Parcells background. Uh, he is one of those guys that could have a transformative effect on the team and what are the most important uh, three positions uh, for any team: <laughs> ownership, head coach, quarterback. Well, guess what? You you put the old coach out to see. You brought in a great one, and Arians, and it's the guy who can fix the quarterback. That's two out of three, and that ain't bad. You have a lot more confidence in Byron Leftwich and Jameis Winston than I do. <laughs> Byron, all right. Now you're not. Now Arians isn't even involved with the offense. He's not. This has been a story that he oh, has left on. the offense to Leftwich, who is handling it himself, who will be calling the plays. You know what he's trying to do? Because Arians is that selfless. He's trying to get his boy Leftwich a job. Absolutely. So he's putting it out there. Who did that? Remember Mike McCarthy did that. Did it go so well? Yeah. McCarthy had to take back over. If the Bucks get in a similar quagmire, guess what? Brucey's heading in. Then you play Carol King, and it's too late, baby. <laughs> All right, a few more before we get out of here. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. I don't care. Offense. Uh, from Jordan Lang, for the two biggest baseball fans on the pod, thoughts on the state of the game and if the league put too much emphasis on home runs, a.k.a. juiced the balls. Well, this goes way beyond juiced balls. I mean, this has been in the works for a while since Moneyball came out and the move to analytics and the move away from treating players as humans and more towards assembly line pieces where emotions are out of the game. And what the big thing, I think, if you look now versus even 10 years ago, the biggest difference in the game to me is umpires. 
are so much better with the strike zone that hitters and pitchers can rely on a borderline call going exactly how it should go, and it's made batters so much more confident about taking borderline pitches. And now you have everybody's waiting on a walk, pitches are waiting on a strikeout, and batters want the home run, and it's boring, boring baseball. That's my opinion. Again, who knows if this can change or not. I'm sure the guys from the 1890s who were doing the Baltimore chop looked at the 1950s baseball and said, these guys don't run. All they do is sit around and hit homers. I mean, and then it took black players, Latin players, and AstroTurf to get the game exciting again after the 50s. So, I don't know. We'll see. You never really can tell what's going to save baseball, but every generation asks when it's going to be saved. Uh, Yeah, I think overall it's good. I think it's good for the game, uh, home runs. But I will say that Justin Verlander, the Astros all-star, who had some cutting comments this week uh, ahead of the all-star game about uh, juiced baseballs. It's an effing joke. Major League Baseball is turning this game into a joke. They own Rawlings, and you've got Manfred, he's the uh, commissioner, up here saying it might be the way they center the pill. They own the effing company. If any other $40 billion company bought out a $400 million company and the product changed dramatically, it's not a guess as to what happened. He ain't wrong, and I get it. He's a pitcher, and he makes his living um, trying to get people out on the mound. Uh, Ironically, his career skyrocketed uh, as this power surge has uh, come about after his trade from the Astros, or it went into a second gear after it seemed like he had been in decline, but that's not really the point. I think that it's good, but also, what to your point, Wes, like, and I'll use my favorite team, the Yankees, as an example. Last year, they set the home run, home run record for a team, and that was not a team that Yankee fans really liked. It was very home run, strikeout, walk, three outcome baseball. This year, uh, they're having success again, but they're they're putting the ball in play more. They're just a more fun team to watch. DJ LeMahieu and players like that are a little bit more exciting than guys that strike out 220 times. Well, this this is a complex issue, and we could do an entire show on it. Um, but to me, so every baseball game, if you watch it all the way through, is sort of like a house of cards. Each inning is a new layer, and the tension rises every time. And then by the eighth or ninth inning in a well-played game, the tension releases, the house of cards come down, and that's where the glory of baseball happens. All that layering and subtleness and texture, and it's all being taken out of the game by the three true outcome stuff. And I think baseball has known this for 30 years. They have known this is the way the, the game's gone, and instead of fixing the game, they've juiced the ball, moved in the fences, taken personality and distinct styles from managers away from the game, and now you're left with this kind of boring, everybody does the same thing game that's just not that aesthetically appealing as it was. Um, And yet, Wes and I combined to watch about 155 out of 162 games this year. Still a beautiful game, but there's always room for improvement. Easy with the home runs. How about those London games? Yankees-Red Sox. That wasn't fun to watch. That was basically an Arena League baseball series, and it was the introduction of the sport to a lot of people overseas. Um, but that was, I don't even know what was going on. Did you happen to catch any of that, Wes? Uh, I didn't that see any madness. of the game, but it seemed like the fences were, sh- were short. And the turf was fast. It was just, it was absurd. And um, let's move on. Uh, Adam Foxcraft, Foxcroft, Conair, The Rock, or Faceoff, uh, the great Nick Cage trilogy of the 90s, obviously Faceoff, uh, a, a completely bonkers performance by Cage, and also Travolta, who, uh, to me, steals that film 
right out from under Nick Cage and his prime's feet, I believe. Is The Rock the one that has Catherine Zeta-Jones dipping beneath lasers? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> that was, uh, what was that one? That was a different one. No, that was a different one. Well, that, that was not a good movie. I've never seen Face Off. I made it about halfway through Con Air before I decided it was too ridiculous to watch. But I did make it through The Rock, so I'm going to put that on there. There you go. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones under lasers. Can you Google that, uh, Erica, just so we can remember what movie that was? I think it was one of those one-word titles uh, back in the day. Dean Bonner asks, Qualis tu fantasia? Uh, the Browns become a dominant force, but Mark Sessler becomes insufferable as a fan, or the Patriots fall hard from their lofty perch and Greg Rosenthal becomes so depressed. Entrapment. Entrapment. Oh, perfect name for a 90s movie. He is seriously considering changing careers and becoming a tennis blogger. Wait, what? Call us to Fantasia. The Browns become a dominant force, but Mark Sessler becomes an insufferable fan. Or the Patriots fall hard from their lofty perch, and Greg Rosenthal becomes so depressed he is seriously considering changing careers and becoming a tennis blogger. I think it's way more likely that Greg would take a long, hard look in the mirror and switch professions. I just don't see Mark ever becoming an obnoxious fan. He doesn't trust. I don't his, think so either. He I doesn't agree. trust his team enough to be obnoxious. That's just not his, that's not who Mark is personality-wise. I could see Greg, who's already deeply obsessed with tennis, maybe going down that road at a later point in his life. But I don't think because of the Patriots. I don't think Greg has like feelings. I don't think he would be like, <laughs> oh my god, the Patriots not broke like me. We. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's right. That's correct too. Uh, all right, two more. Andrew Lewis asks, which album would Wes most want to give the throwback treatment? Synergy, the throwback podcast. Of course, my podcast to do with Bob Castrone, where we look back at an album put out in the last, you know, 20, 10, 20, 30 years, revisit it, talk about it. What about you, Wes? Okay, so I've got sort of a top five or six here. Okay, but I want to know if you guys have done these before. I was okay. trying to think of things that you guys have not already done. Have you done Mermaid Avenue by Billy Bragg and Wilco? We have not. That would be high up for me. Okay. Writing these down, by the way. Neil Young, Harvest Moon. We have not done that. Uh, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. We have not done that yet, but Lakeisha Wessling, your wife, your wife, your wife. Uh, said she wanted to do that album. That could be an ideal uh, Wes Lakeisha joint we coming into the garage. This one you may have done. Jeff Buckley's Grace. I love Grace. Uh, have not done it. It's almost such a heavy album. It would be a little weird in the throwback pod format, but it doesn't mean we wouldn't do it. Okay, two more. Johnny Cash's American Recordings. Is that the covers album? Yeah. Nice. Well, there's like a series of like four of them, but yeah. Um, and then finally, one way off your radar. I love this album. Robert Bradley's Blackwater Surprise. <laughs> Is the name of the group, and the album is Blackwater Surprise. It is a blind, middle-aged, African-American son of a sharecropper, one of 13 children, who ends up in Detroit, and these early 20s white rockers hear him singing on the sidewalk for money. They station them as the head of their group, and he's the singer, he's the writer, and everything is like this soul, blues, a little bit of rock mixture that is just incredible. Hmm. Do you have any of those albums? Uh, no. Nor uh, do I. I have the Wilco, the Billy Bragg one. Um, Grace, I have. Um, Lauren Hill, I have. I mean, you love Harvest Moon, obviously. Right? Har- Who doesn't love that great song? Great song. Great song. Unknown Legend, also on that album, is a great song. There you go. 
That's it. That's it for the mailbag. Let's close up the mailbag. Good stuff. Not even interrupted once, Erica, during our conference room podcast here yeah. at Quake. So Pretty a cool. few people walked by, looked at us like we were crazy. Well, that's their problem. True. They're just they're they're living in envy because they don't got the headset on. Right. They don't have the cords and they don't have the laptops. Because this is a status symbol right now. <laughs> you know what it says? Important people. In a conference room. In a conference room. All right. When do we get back into the studio? Uh, the real studio? Yeah. We got like two weeks of this. Oh, damn. Yeah. All right. So we'll be back on Thursday? Thursday. Okay. And we're going to have Greg back, I believe, from Japan. Mark? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe mm, not. I would I would lean toward the week after. <laughs> <laughs> Or the month after. Or the year after. Whatever the tumbleweed's taken. Uh, all right. Good stuff. Wes, that was fun. That was good. All right. This is Dan Hansen signing off for the mailman, Chris Wesley, future throwback podcast guest. Can't wait. And Ricky Hollywood. Get ready. Softball. Big game this week. Till Thursday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.